This is Albert Phillips, Jr., writer, youth advocate, educator, and you're listening to Mastermind. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to Mastermind, the home of black excellence and self-mastery. Yes, your host, Mr. G. Welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us today on the journey towards self-mastery. Our next guest hails from Baltimore. He's an author, educator, and youth activist. He has a bachelor's in print journalism from Morgan State University and a master's in education from John Hopkins University. As an educator, he's worked as a learning specialist with Baltimore City Public Schools, helping students gain access to work-based learning opportunities through career exploration, professional development, and career prep. In 2015, he earned a state and national award for his exemplary community service throughout Baltimore City. He's also the founder and CEO of Free Black Mind Educational Group, a social enterprise startup that provides digital and print resources designed to empower and educate black youth. His first self-published book, Y'all Hiring, A Black Teen's Guide to Navigating Employment, aims to help black teens navigate through the complicated and confusing professional world. Let's welcome today our guest, Mr. Albert Phillips Jr. to the program. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for that intro. I appreciate you. Hey, pleasure was mine, man. Um, you definitely doing doing the work. Um, I actually do co- uh, career exploration type of things at my school too. And I was thinking about it's so funny, like just how the universe works. Because I was thinking about like, I wonder if anybody wrote any books that cater to us. You know what I'm saying? In, in regards to the language and things that we might be interested in in connection to um, career exploration, getting the job, and things like that. Because I feel like. For young people, generally, when you start mentioning this stuff, it's like, man, this stuff is boring. Like, I'll get to it when it happens. You know what I'm saying? I ain't looking for a job right now. I want to work for nobody and all this stuff. And, um, you know, it's important to have, you know, people like you that's doing the work that can really break it down on their level and explain the importance of, um, you know, building yourself and building your professional resume and really developing yourself. So I appreciate the work you're doing, man. Yeah, of course, man. You know, I've been working with young people in my city. I would say probably forever, but professionally since at least 2013. And that was right after I graduated. Well, probably 2012, but full time in 2013 after I graduated from Morgan State. Um, and it's it's been very rewarding seeing the development of our young people, you know, feeling their pulse, understanding what's really going on on a ground level and being able to assist, you know, allow them to share about who they are. Um, allow them to tell their stories and figuring out ways of um, helping them navigate like employment um, as well as life in some regards. You know, when, when I sit down and talk with young people, it's not just like, yo, where are you trying to work? OK, let's do a resume. Let's do an application. You know, it, it was never that was never my approach. Mm-hmm. I would to know them as people. And I think that's that's key to building relationships and to being able to get to any outcomes that you want to get to professionally is is being able to connect with people as people. And so um, the young people in my city, I'm just blessed to have a connection with many of them. Mm, absolutely, man. And they need that, man. Um, a lot of people look at Baltimore City, you know, not in the most positive light. I know you mentioned 
that, you know, you're proud of growing up in Baltimore City and your experiences and things like that. So let's just get into that, man. What was it like for you growing up in this space? I know we, when we think about Baltimore City, people that live outside of Baltimore, um, for my generation, we think about the wire, you know what I'm saying? So so, um, is that really the reality of Baltimore or? So everybody always said, is it like the wire? You know what I'm saying? Is the city like the wire? And in some ways it is, you know, but I would say that the city is much more than just that, that representation. There's a lot of beauty in the city, you know, from artists to different musicians to just the, just the joy that a lot of people exude. You know, it's, it's a rough city. It's a gritty city. Um, it's a city that's built on, you know, who knows who, you know, they call it small tomorrow at times because you really, a person or two away from anybody else in the city, you know, mm. that's how, that's how small it feels. Um, but it also feels like sometimes it can feel dramatically different depending on where you are in the city. And so city Baltimore is a city of zip codes. Um, certain zip codes, they get afforded a lot of amenities. They got a lot of prestige, um, a lot of tourists and stuff go there, you know, even when they, when they show the city, they usually show like downtown, you know, the, mm-hmm. those site, those sorts of spots. Um, but then you have uptown, you know, you got communities that are disinvested. You have communities that are dealing with violence and, and drug addiction um, and poverty and, and food insecurity. There's a lot of issues in Baltimore, uh, but there also are some great people who are working to change things. And oftentimes I feel like, you know, that doesn't get the recognition that the negative stuff gets. And so people think that the city is just messed up and nobody's like caring or doing anything. But um, that's that's not the case at all. So growing up in the city, you know, I don't think anybody comes out of the city unscathed, like mm. some type of way, either directly or indirectly. You're going to feel something, whether it's a friend being murdered or a school being closed down or um, somebody in your family addicted to drugs, like you're going to feel that in some sort of way. But, you know, there people have a lot of hope here, you know, meaning that it's crazy, like bullets flying, you know what I mean? Like literally wild, but people still have a sense of love and connection with other people, you know? Um, and so that's, that's what I try to focus on. Like if we can have that seed um, grow, you know, hopefully we can create a more connected city and a city that's really viable and healthy for everybody. That's that's my hope. Mm. Got you. Got you. Um, I know you promote, you know, education and all that. Um, what was it like going through the educational uh, public school system for you? Like was were mm-hmm. you getting uh, some some good teachers and a good experience? Yeah. So I had some some prolific black teachers uh, going through Baltimore City Public Schools. Um, in different stages of, of schooling. So in uh, middle school, I had uh, Mr. Sai, and he was he was my social studies teacher, real big black man, like, you know, strong figure, but not like a brute. Like he was intelligent. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times mm-hmm. we think about like we think about like football players. Right. Mm-hmm. They're intelligent, too. But he, he was an educator who wasn't just like, oh, when, when the kids are acting bad, go send them to him. He wasn't that type of person, you know, because they try to put us in that, in that box sometimes as black men. Absolutely. Um, he told us, 
he, he told us about um, social studies. He also just was a person I can lean on, you know, seeing representation in, in education is really important. So he's a great educator, somebody who I still talk to now, like off and on. Um, also had Ms. Wilson. I was actually in her class during 9-11. And I remember like, you know, we all had to call home and like, I think we got picked up early that day or something like that. But Ms. Wilson allowed me to explore my creativity. And I would say that in her class, I probably planted the seeds of becoming a writer because she would let us write poetry. We would write fiction. We would read like the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, and I just, re- being re- I just remember being able to be creative as a writer in her class, right? Which mm-hmm. I really embraced. And then, you know, we go to high school. I had um, one of my favorite teachers was uh, Baba Gross, what we call him, or Mr. Kevin Gross. And he taught U.S. history. And he was the first person to ever take me to a play. I used to always think plays was like for old white people. But, <laughs> um, you know, black people, we actually have written and write plays like on a regular basis. And so he took took us to uh, um, August Wilson play. Um, I can't remember which one it was, but I just remember that it was profound, you know, being, seeing, seeing people that look like me on stage, acting their heart out, you know, sharing our story. So um, those were those teachers were pivotal in my life. Um, and it was it was just remarkable. But I would say, like, being able to step outside of Baltimore City Schools and see like private schools and some other school systems, you can see how disinvested our schools were. Mm. Like other schools, I remember I went to this private school called the Park School. They had like all the students had computers. They had fresh lunch. Like they had a variety of things. It was like a college when you go into the cafeteria, like all the different options. Um, they had ducks walking across the lawn. Like the landscaping was different. You know what I mean? Like right. all of that, all of that made me feel like, man, like why can't our schools be like this? And I was like 12, 13 years old when I visited that school. But I was like, why are we getting a phony, like nasty processed lunch? And they have like a fresh, <laughs> they had a, they had somebody grilling out back. Like anybody want any grilled chicken? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what is this? Is this a college? You know, but you can see that. You know, certain um, certain communities and certain people in different tax brackets are able to afford different things and mm-hmm. are given different things. Even the public school systems are different across Maryland. Right. All the school systems are not like Baltimore City. If you go to Howard County, it's different. And so um, it just made me it just made me think like, man, like what if we what if this was really invested in? What if our, our schools were really poured into? And so there, you know, there's some good and there's some bad when it comes to my schooling. But I'm fortunate to have, like I said, some amazing black teachers to help mold me. Yeah, that's great, man. I'm glad. I'm glad you had that, man. Um, at the same time, you also had your father, man. That was a big influence in your life. And um, you know, he's he was raising you as a single father. So what was that experience like? You know, outside of just dealing with Baltimore, the city itself, but you know, your father raising you as a single father and some of those lessons. Yeah, man, I see you did your research. Uh, <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, so, you know, my pops, he's like, you know, he, he's pivotal in my life. You know, I wouldn't be the man that I am today without my father. And so I'm blessed. I'm blessed to have that because I, I know so many young people, especially young men who, who don't have their fathers around. And I see how that um, creates chaos in that in that life at, at different points because 
they're struggling to figure out manhood. They're struggling to figure out, you know, what do I do? Like, how do I create my purpose in this life? And so I'm thankful. Um, and my father is far from perfect. You know, he I, I, I've learned at a young age from my father what, what, it, what it was like to say, you know what, I'm going to change my life in order to raise my son, because that's what mm-hmm. he did. You know, he was living a, 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 I say, negative lifestyle and decided to make some changes because he saw that I was I needed to be with him. You know, and so I'm blessed that he was able to do that. Um, my father also showed me higher education. You know, I used to go with him to college classes. I saw him graduate multiple times. One of my favorite memories is there's a there's a school at um, Morgan State University called Holmes Hall where I went with him, I think I was in like middle school. I went with him as a student, like he just brought me with him to class one night. Mm-hmm. He would do this often. And so when I went to Morgan State University, I, I took a class in that same room that I was at with my dad yeah. when I was younger. And so it became like that full circle moment. I had to pause for a minute, like, why did this room look so familiar? I'm like, oh, could I have been in here before I sat over there? You know what I'm saying? And so that's the power of a father. That's the power of a father who's around and is willing to invest in in that child. And so mm. that's something that's like paramount to me because I know that, you know, when I have some children, I want to be that type of father. Um, and me and, my, me, me and my dad, we talk all the time. I just was on the phone with him probably right before this interview. Um, and he always giving up different lessons. You know, he, he, he always kept me involved in different community organizations which I think was important too often, you know, parents, I feel like um, sometimes they don't have their children involved in different things. You know, even when I was a teacher, I would try to encourage parents to be like, Hey, put them in a at the school program, put them in dance, put them in art club, you know, put them in something, put them in a sport because that helps to build that character and help to mold them. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of just being on the phone or like watching TV all day, you know what I mean? Or just yeah. running the streets, you know, my father always had me and stuff, community organizing. We went through a rites of passage. Um, so there were all, all of these things that my, my dad had me involved in. That that, helped that's, me. that's interesting right there. What was the, what was the rites of passage? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. Um, um, egg Bay on, on Concorine, which is uh, the society of brave men. And so I was a part of that. Uh, I went through my rites of passion when I was 19 and it was just a really a, a, a introduction into Africanness uh, from a, I say, a, a kind of a Yoruba Ifa sort of perspective. Um, and so we did drumming, we did martial arts, uh, we did different rituals. You know, we had to read, we had to study, we had to fast um, and it really built a camaraderie uh, amongst different men. Uh, we also did other things that, I, you know, I'm not going to share on this on this podcast, but gotcha. all, all, all of that helped me develop as a man. You know, um, it set a standard that should be a standard for manhood, you know, um, and it's a process just because you turn a certain age to me doesn't mean that you're a man. Um, mm. If you haven't um, sacrificed, if you haven't invested, if you haven't gone through anything, if you haven't sat at the feet of another man to learn, you know. Um, so that's, that's my philosophy and all of that comes from my dad. That makes sense, man. I'm getting like Lawrence Fishburne vibes, like, and right. boys, to, um, boys in the hood, you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> from your pops. It's funny cause, um, uh, I'll give you this, this kind of inside scoop. I'm working on a book right now, um, uh, a memoir 
And um, my dad doesn't even know this. So he'll, when he listens to this, he'll learn this. But um, I, I describe him in, in a certain part of the book like that character because he in a way he was because he wasn't just my dad. He became like a father to the block, like a father to my friends and my community, because a lot of my friends, they father wasn't around or mm. they father might have been around, but they wasn't like a dominant figure in their life. You know what I mean? So yeah. when when my friends would come over to my house, you know, they would they would see my dad and they would talk to him. You know what I mean? It was that whole mm-hmm. sort of experience. So it was that sort of vibe. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I'm glad you had that experience. So I'm guessing that's what led you to going into Morgan Morgan State, you know, HBCU, that same same HBCU your pops went in. But um, what led you to pursuing writing there? Like what led to that thirst for becoming a writer? Yeah, so it was a process and it was a process that I had to I had to really sit down and think, like, where did that passion come from? Because, like I said earlier, it started young, but I didn't realize it fully. It really started in like middle school. That's the earliest that I can remember being able to just write freely in Miss Wilson's class. She would let us go on poetry dot com and just like rock out. You know, if we finished our work early. She would just let us just, you know, just type. Just do things, just be creative with words. And I always liked that. That's something I always enjoyed. You know, probably back then I probably was like trying to write raps and stuff like that, but <laughs> rap is a form of poetry. So absolutely it's yep. significant. It's art. So that was like the earliest that I can think of. But then even throughout school, I, I took AP writing in high school, which I really enjoyed. I didn't get the college credit, but I still enjoyed just being in there, critiquing other people's work, having my work critiqued revising, you know, um, trying to back up claims, like all of that was sort of exciting to me. Where mm-hmm. like, you don't really like writing. You like, that's, <laughs> that's how I'm going. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you might like math or science or something like that, but um, that's something that I enjoy. And then when I went, I started in community college. So I went to Baltimore city community college and initially my major was professional writing, but I decided to change it because I was scared to take, um, Spanish because I, I struggled in high school with a foreign language. I was like, I ain't taking no more foreign languages. So I changed my major to general studies, which in hindsight, I wish I wouldn't have done. I wish I would have just stuck with the Spanish class so that I could have gotten the AA degree that I wanted mm-hmm. professional writing. So that's writing. And then Morgan State, I studied journalism. So that's another form of writing. And now I'm at University of Baltimore studying creative writing and publishing arts. So that's what gotcha. I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm in my first year there. Uh, so all of this kind of tied together is 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 building more and more of my love for, for writing. And now I want to take it to another level. So I mentioned writing a memoir. That's something that I'm working on. Um, I'm also I, I self-published my book, obviously, in 2020. So I, I might sub, self-publish one more book. Um, I have one idea that I'm eyeing for next year, but but we'll see. And so I just want to be the best that I can be. I want to tell impactful stories. And I also want to inspire other people, especially young people. I want Mm. them to know that they have a story, right? Like people think they got to, they got to be like 50 cent. They got to get shot nine times and they got to have a near death experience. And, you know, all of this crazy stuff had to happen in order for you to have a story. But everybody has a story, you know, like everybody. Um, It's all in the way that you write it and you package it. And, um, that's that's what I hope to inspire other people to do. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Um, so 
I do want to ask just about your HBCU experience at uh, Morgan State. Like, what was that experience like for you, um, and how, how how has it Im- impacted you now? You know, HBCUs have transformed Black life. HBCUs, I think, help produce the most. And and don't quote me on this. I don't have all the stats right in front of me, but they hope they help produce the most like black engineers, I believe scientists and other professions as well. A lot of a lot of black folks obviously go through these institutions because they feel a sense of connection. And I think my HBCU experience was a blessing because I was able to get the core content, quote unquote, that you're supposed to know to go out in the field and become a journalist because I studied print journalism. But Mm -hmm. then I also got the other stuff. Right. The 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 culturally relevant information that black right. people needed to learn. So you you get a dual education in that way. Um, so they're building you up as a black person and then they're also giving you the content. And so um, I decided to go to Morgan because obviously big part of that was my dad. He went to Morgan. I also had a brother that went to Morgan. Um, I think my dad studied social work there. I had a brother that did electrical engineering. Um, so two, you know, different worlds. Right. And I did journalism. So all of that together inspired me to go there. Um, I got, you know what? I didn't get the scholarship that I wanted because I transferred there in the spring from community college, which whoever listened to this, anytime you transfer from one community college to a four year, make sure you do it in the fall. That's when you get the most scholarship money, not in the spring. Mm. It's lesson learned. The um, gems. Facts, man. Lesson learned. But yeah, I mean, Morgan was love. The first time I ever went to Morgan that I can remember, I, it was in an elementary school program. Again, my, I said my dad always kept me in stuff. So mm-hmm. even before he was a student there, I, I believe I used to, it was a summer of probably third or fourth grade. They had a summer camp at Morgan. And so a bus, I would get on a bus and go there daily. Um, we would do different activities and things like that. But Again, being there, being in that institution, it planted those seeds that made me want to come back, you know, as I got older. So the HBC, HBCU experience is like amazing, you know what I'm saying? And every year I go back to homecoming. You know, I always want to see old friends, old professors. And we're blessed in Baltimore because we have two HBCUs right in the city, like in the, in the inner city, not in a county, not like far out, like right in the city. One in east and one in west. So over east, you got Morgan State. And then over west, you got Cotman State. So um, it's a blessing to have those institutions here. And I hope that um, students really understand how significant that is. Mm. Yeah, man, I appreciate that, man. Um, Sounds like you had a really rich experience there, which led to um, your book, Y'all Hiring, I'm guessing. Um, so what what kind of inspired that book exactly? Was it like an experience you had with a young person thinking about your own experience? When I think about it, all I could think about is like a young, you know, black teen popping up at like a a grocery store or anywhere. Like, yo, y'all hired? <laughs> like, that's what I'd be thinking about. <laughs> so what was what, what influenced that book for you, man? I mean, what you just said, like that, that was my experience. That was that was the experience of a lot of young people that I work with. That was the experience of friends and family members that I had. Like we, we never really got any formal training on how to navigate employment. It was like. You just, it was trial and error, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. It was like, and it, it was almost like, you know, you might get that one friend who get that job at a Foot Locker or Cold Stone or McDonald's, 
And then they become the plug. Like, yo, how you get in there? All right. Yeah. <laughs> who, who the manager? When I need to come? When I need to be up there? You know what I'm saying? So it was that it was that sort of feel as opposed to like a class or something in, in school or, you know, your parents sitting you down. It wasn't like that. You know, I'm sure my dad like gave me advice and pointers and things like that, but it wasn't a formal process. And so with, with that in mind and the work that I was doing as a workforce development practitioner in Baltimore for a number of different nonprofits, um, you know, that encouraged me to say, you know, I want to be able to create a, a tool, a resource that our young people can use in order to figure this thing out and hopefully have better results and really understand what they're dealing with when they go out here. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's, it's much bigger than just like you making money, right? It's much bigger than chasing a bag. You know, there there's so many factors and so many implications that are involved when it comes to employment. And I just wanted to put some of that in a book. You know, I don't feel like I put everything in a book. In fact, I think I'm going to do a second version, mm. um, a revised version, probably for the next few years. Add on like three or four chapters, um, expand on a few things. I don't want to make it crazy long. because That was the intention to try not to make it super long, because if I give a, a teen a 500 page book about employment, they're going to throw it in the trash. <laughs> you know what I'm <laughs> so I wanted to make it something concise. <clears throat> but also impactful and actionable. And so at the end of most of the chapters, you'll find tips and tricks that they can use immediately. You know what I'm saying? It's not like you got to read a hundred pages and to figure out, you know, wh- what are the steps I need to take? Nah, like you read maybe 10 pages, then I'm hitting you with some steps, some things that you can do in the back of the book. There's also a resource guide for teens to learn more information. There's a, um, there's a, a, a music selection. Um, not that all of the songs are not like directly about employment, but some of them are about like being passionate about what you're working towards, knowing yourself as a black person and your power. That was important for me as well in the book. You know, in most, well, all employment guys are, are never going to talk about like your inherent power as a as a black person. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's like off the table. That's insignificant. You know, it's just mm-hmm. about like, put that tie on, learn how to do your interview, you know, learn how to do your resume, shake a good, you know, all of that stuff, which I don't think is insignificant, but I think um, our young people need to be told how great and brilliant they are. Um, and they need to be held to a standard of that. You know, even when I was teaching, I always think about this as an example, you know, the goal is to, is to, I don't know, write a five page persuasive essay, right? right? That's the assignment for my whole class. Now, some students may need scaffolding. They might need extra supports, right? They might, they might need coach class in order to get it, but that's the goal. That's the bar. And so um, when we, when we tell our young people that they're brilliant, that they're excellent, that they're intelligent, these are not just like nice things to say. It's not hyperbole. Now that you know that I'm a, I'm a hold you to the standard. And so even when we think about being a quote unquote professional, now that you know how great you are, how do you show that? How do you exude that? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So Absolutely. all of that became important to me. Yes, sir. Um, just before we even get into your book, the cover, um, it looks like a young black male. Uh, and it kind of goes against the whole clean cut philosophy of looking for employment. You know, he has a, you know, interesting hairstyle. 
um, little mustache growing in there. You know what I'm saying? So um, why did you choose that type of imagery um, to provide for the cover? Yeah, as, as I mentioned earlier, like representation is really important to me. Um, I wanted the teens that I was writing for to be able to see themselves directly on the cover of the book. And so um, that's why you have that. We, we went through multiple iterations. Uh, me and a designer, uh, Makia Hewley, shout out to her. She, she's a beast. She does a lot of um, local books and even folks who aren't local. But the cover was important, not just with the face of the, the, the young black uh, guy that's on there, but also the symbols. So you have a light bulb, you have a check mark, mm-hmm. you have the, the question mark that sometimes people don't see. Um, all of those things and even the, the, the swirling of the um, sort of the, the line, the, the plotted line, like all of that was very intentional just to represent a journey. Right. Mm. Of, of maybe not having an idea, which which is represented by the light bulb at the beginning. Right. To leading to questions which are kind of in the middle with the you're hiring and then hitting that checkbox of like, oh, I figured it out. I, I solved you know, the puzzle. And then. And then on a most updated cover, the it, it actually keeps going around to the back. So it's kind of like you you achieve something. Now, like what's next? You know what I mean? Mm. I think with with employment, you know that's that's a connection there because you might get that job that you really wanted, or you might get that salary that you already wanted, always wanted, or the benefits, or maybe you can you can work remotely, right? But now it's like, what's next? You know, like. Where are you? Are you going to stay at that particular job, right? If you're making a certain amount of money, are you going to save a certain amount? Are you going to invest a certain amount? Um, you know, all of these different things that that go into employment that we we often don't have conversations about. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's that's all that was very intentional with the cover. Interesting. Um, in the beginning of your book, uh, you also talk about a quote from Mister Neely Fuller. Um, one of our great black minds and it's uh you know if you do not understand racism white supremacy everything you do will only confuse you why did you decide to use that quote and then um, why do you think it's important for young black people to have an understanding of racism white supremacy before they get into the workplace um one that was just a dope quote i always love that quote by dr dan daninelli <laughs> um and i I think I actually first heard it from um, Dr. Francis Cress Wellesley, which was a sort of a, a predecessor of Dr. Neely Fuller. Um, that was one of her uh, mentors. But racism, white supremacy impacts every area of human activity, including employment. So it, it, it impacts our environment, the foods that we have access to, the schools that we go to, uh, the cars that we drive, right? Like health disparities. There's research that suggests that racism, white supremacy impacts all of that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to separate that from employment either because it's a it's a huge part of it. I mean, we see all kinds and forms of discrimination uh, when it comes to employment. And so I wanted young people to be aware of that. Right. I highly doubt that quote will ever make it into any other employment guide ever in existence. <laughs> <laughs> But I felt good being a self-published author saying that I'm going to put it in here and I'm going to put it in here at the beginning of the book. I'm going I'm to set you up for the rest of the book. Mm. Um, I always tell young people, you can read from wherever you want to read from, but start at the beginning. 
read the preface first because I want to set the foundation for the book. And so that was important for me to put in there to set a foundation, to let them know, like, this is real. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is stuff and this is stuff that they dealing with each and every day that our people deal with each and every day. Right. So, um, that's why it was important for me to put that in there. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Um, so in the beginning, you also mentioned about youth unemployment rate being at an all time high um, and specifically for black youth. So why do you think the unemployment rate is so high and why do you think it's so difficult for black youth to find employment? Yeah. So when I put the book out, uh, the unemployment rate was probably way worse than what it is now because I put the book out in 2020. Right. It was during the height of the pandemic. And so a lot of people were losing jobs like left and right. Uh, a lot of frontline workers, a lot of um, retail staff, um, a lot of people that worked in like hotels, like so many people were losing jobs in a lot right. of different capacities, which impacted not just themselves, but their family. It impacted their quality of life. Um, people were getting evicted, like all of these things were happening. And so when we talk about unemployment, a lot of our young people, they work during the spring and the summer. They work a lot during those times because those are times where they have more of a break, especially during the summer. Like even mm-hmm. in, in Baltimore, um, the city hires 10,000 young people every summer uh, because a lot of them are out of school. And if they're young people just out of school, not doing anything, you know, they could get into trouble. They could do other things. And so we, we want them to be involved in something. So the unemployment rate was very high at that time because of COVID. Um, but also because, you know, again, that, that system that I, that I mentioned earlier, like we, we were not provided a system and a structure for gaining employment. And so because of that, you know, we, we just didn't know how to get those jobs. We didn't know how to mm. get, you know, certain employment opportunities. And, and it became a barrier and a challenge to us. Um, and so a lot of those factors tied into the unemployment rate at that time. Um, and, you know, I pulled a lot of that data directly from the Department of Labor um, that, that was able to provide those statistics. Right, right. And I remember in a previous interview, you mentioned um, some statistics as well, where 60 percent of people don't even finish job applications. You know what I'm saying? And I yeah. think those things like the patience of going through a job application and filling it out correctly, um, being mindful of your resume, like things you mentioned in your book. And then only two percent of people actually get a call back and stuff like that. So I thought yeah. that was really interesting, too. Things that we don't know when we're filling out the paperwork. Um, you know, and we don't know the competition level because you mentioned on the average job, about 250 people are applying average, you know, For sure. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And, and you know, and young people are astonished when I tell them that, you know, they might think it's just them and their homeboy applying. I'm like, nah, bro, like 300 people applied for that one opening <laughs> that you thought that, you know, you were going to get back because you, you applied on the same day that they got posted. Nah, bro, like. <laughs> You still have to make sure that, you know, your stuff is in tip top shape. And, you know, these applications, some of them are so outdated. They like from like the 80s and the 90s, like that formatting, it sucks, it's trash. Uh, but if you want that job, right, you're you going to have to do that application. Unless you have some exactly. way that you want to get them to change their application, you know, good luck to you. Um, you, know, 
you're going to have to complete it. So, yeah, that's important, you know, in, in order to share that, that data and those statistics so we can make the best informed decisions to, to go. Mm-hmm. Where yeah, I think um, also, too, like understanding the, the a job is important as well, because I think a lot of young people don't understand what a job is for the purpose of it. I know when I was young, I thought once I get a job, I'm set. Like, I'm, you know what I mean? I'm good to go. Like I'm, I'm good for life. So yeah. what exactly in your view is a job and what is the purpose of it? And, and you know, I want to speak on what you just mentioned. Like, you know, jobs have, have shifted in, in different ways. They continue to shift all the time. Um, you know, at, at certain points, you know, back in the day, our, our grandparents, they could get certain jobs without having a diploma, without having a, a credential and be OK, you know, be able to kind of modestly support their, their family. Um, but now it's just much different. You know, mm. uh, the cost of living has drastically, drastically increased. You know, you said you in New York. It's crazy up there. Ooh, um, mommy. And, and um, different parts of California, like it's. It's wild. So um, I think when we think about a job, we have to be mindful of not just the salary, but I always tell people, you know, your job is going to take full advantage of you (laughs) fully. Right. Like and I'm not even just talking about having you work a lot of hours, but they're going to take your acumen, your skills, your abilities you might have a new technique that you know how to do that you might naturally do at your job that helps you increase your production level um, at work. Let's say you work at an Amazon or something. You might know a special techniques to, to scan and box packages, you know, quicker than anybody else. Um, they might not give you no raise for that. <laughs> right. Like it's like good job. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's wonderful. Um, they may or may not give you a raise, but it's like, they're, they're, they're looking at all of these things and thinking about how can they export as much as they can from you because you work for the company, you work for the organization. And so we have to be mindful as employees to 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 what our rights are, one, um, but also what are other things that we can absorb from a job beyond just a salary? Um, do they match your 401k, Right. Do they um, do they have a scholarship program? Um, do they have professional development that you can take advantage of? Are they going to help you pay for school? Mm-hmm. Right. Like sometimes there are many things that jobs can provide that we don't know about because we don't ask the right questions. Um, there might be opportunities for you to gain credentials. Like if you work in full service, they might be able to help you get your service state certification. Um, mm-hmm. So. Those are the type of questions that I feel like we have to be asking ourselves and be knowledgeable of when we're going to a job. Um, And that's something that I did not think about at all when I was a teenager. Right. I'm like, (laughs) how much y'all paying? All right, cool. Sign me up. You know what I mean? Um, And and listen, we all deserve to get paid. You know, Um, in fact, I don't think most of us get paid what we really deserve to get paid. That's facts. Another story, but always look beyond just the salary. I, t- mm. I talked to some young people um, a couple weeks ago. Um, they had a op- they had two opportunities, right? In Baltimore, a lot of our young people want to work for Amazon. Um, 
because they have a new fulfillment center here, I think in like South Baltimore. And so they go there, they work the warehouse job. I don't knock it, like get your money, do whatever you got to do. But if you can, if you can afford to take a small pay cut and potentially work in something that's more aligned to your passion, right? Let's say you have an interest in law and I say, yo, I have an internship for you at a law firm, right? You're going to make $3 less per hour, but this can turn into, you know, help with you getting into law school in the future, college, a reference, you know, a a long-term connection, you know, to your network. You know, sometimes young people will be like, I'm going to Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) They paying an extra $3, you know what I mean? Chasing the bag. Yeah, so it becomes that, that thing that we, you know, we got to figure out. So again, I, I'm never going to knock nobody for for going after their money, but I also want us to think about what else. What else is there out there, and and what else can I take advantage of when it comes mm-hmm. to the job? I got you. I got you. So, do you think about like job and a career in the same distinction? Because I I know some people like, well, it's not really the same thing. Career is like more professional, and then other people like, well, you still working for somebody. A career is like a fancy job. Like, so where where you at with that whole? you know, that whole terminology, career versus job, job versus career? So a lot of times I think about like uh, upward mobility when it comes to career versus job. Um, and I also think about like long-term sort of connection. Um, there, I have never met a person ever in life who have said, I want to I work in fast food and I want to start off on fries and work my way up to being a manager. <laughs> right now, if you've done that, I'm listen again. Get your money. Do whatever. Ain't you nothing do. wrong with it. Yep. yep. I'm not knocking nobody who work in any of these places, but I have just never met a person who was who was like in middle school, like yo, I can't wait to go from the <laughs> fries to the manager. You know what I'm saying? Like I just never met anyone. So to me. I think of like when I think of career, a lot of times I think about like, what was that thing that you was dreaming of? You know, like what what was that thing that you were really passionate about? Um, And, you know, a lot of times when we think about graduation, like, you know, students turn 18, uh, we expect them to have their lives figured out. Like, are you going to college? Are you doing this? It's like we think it's like a straight line to where you're going. But, you know, a student might go to college, they might have a side hustle, they might they might work at a McDonald's temporarily, and then they might go to, you know, whatever they really wanted to do. So when I think about the upward mobility piece, like, you know, how are you growing and developing? Are they paying uh, a, a living or a family sustaining wage? Um, you know, and, and careers are more of like that dream and that passion that that might not even just come when you're young because people you might have a new career idea when you're 40, right? And you might right. be like, oh, I'm gonna. Matter of fact, Miss Wilson, who I who I spoke about earlier, who was my um, sixth grade English teacher, she wants to be a lawyer now, and I think she. Oh, if she see this, she might get mad at me. But I think <laughs> she's, at least, she's at least 50 years old, right? Like 50 something. You know what I'm saying? Like right. she's so it can come wherever it comes from. But the passion, I mean, a job is, like they say, just over broke. You know, you, you're making some money, 
you know, you, you taking care of yourself. Um, you, but are, are you that passionate about it? Like, do you, do you love it? You know, and it can, it, you know, maybe the job can develop into a career. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't feel like I have the, the, the sauce or the recipe for everybody to be successful. Like, you know, people figure out things in, in different ways and different parts of life. But I often think about, you know, that deep down passion and then does it really have upward mobility? Like, um, and everybody doesn't have to be in a position of leadership, but if you wanted to, could you do that where you work? Right. Or is there a, a track for that? And if there isn't, then I don't know. It's hard to really consider a career, you know? Got you. Got you. So I think about Kanye West song, um, you know, that major that she majored in don't make no money, but she won't drop out because her parents will look at her funny, That's you know, true. now tell me that in, in Sakura, the concept of school seems so scared. So just to say that, um, to say, um, when we're thinking about choosing our passions or things like that, what is the balance between choosing something that is actually going to be able to make a living off of versus choosing your passion? Like, you know, there's a lot of social workers out there struggling. There's a lot of educators out there struggling. Like we might be happy in our passions, but um, don't we also deserve to be making money as well? So how do you find that balance in choosing something you're passionate about, but also um, something that you're going to be able to make, make money, raise a family, buy a house and do these things that we all want to do in our society? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 always tough to me. You know what I mean? Um, you know, there's certain careers starting off. You'll make a good amount. Like if you if you're going into like if you want to be an engineer, like if you're going into IT. Like you can start off making a decent amount of money. Um, if you're going into cybersecurity, right? Like you're, you're going to be decent. Mm-hmm. But like you said, if you want to be a teacher and you're passionate about being a teacher, you know, but you're not making that much money, um, I'm not going to come in and tell you don't be a teacher. You know, right. in fact, like I was doing an interview a couple of weeks ago, and the lady asked me, she was like, "Would you still encourage people to become teachers?" Like given all that's going on and like teachers are underpaid and all of that. And I was like, yeah, but it's their passion. You know what I'm saying? I think it's important to to follow that because it can create a sense of personal um, value and, and fulfillment that I don't want to take away from anybody. Um, and and our, our students still deserve teachers, right? Absolutely. In public schools, they deserve quality teachers. And so if everybody said <laughs> we ain't teaching no more, right? Like, What's going to happen to you? Because everybody can't afford to go to private school um, or homeschool or whatever. So public education is not going anywhere. Um, However, I I think that from an individual standpoint, people have people should be knowledgeable of what they're going into before they go into it as much as they can. So before you decide to become a teacher or whatever the profession is, do your research on the market. Right. If you think that you're going to become a teacher and you're going to make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Like you've lost it. (laughs) It's it's not going to happen unless you've been teaching for a long time. And, you know, some places you have to get certain degrees and the other places you have to get um, AUs or certain like professional development credentials. And it will still take a long time for you to ever get close to that. Um, So being knowledgeable is, is very important. And, you know, that balance between like doing what I love and getting paid what I deserve is, is always a real one um, because I'm, I'm going to tell a person that, you know, 
how do you figure out how the intersection between both? You know, that's 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 what I, I think that people should focus on getting closer to. How can you find an in- intersection between both or how can you even find like that side thing or that maybe that side hustle or that that business that don't have nothing to do with you, what you do full time, but maybe bringing in revenue or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, another passion for you. Because sometimes and I had to learn this from um, a friend of mine. She was like, you know, your job is not fully like who you are. And a lot of us tie like our, our whole totality to what we do nine to five every day, but that's not the totality of who you are. So, and with that mindset, you can have a job that has nothing to do with what you're passionate about and have a side business that has a hundred percent to do what you're passionate about. So you could be like working somewhere and still have this thing that you're running on the side that maybe you're building up so that you can quit your job, you know, and everybody doesn't have to be an entrepreneur. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, you, you have to do your own research to figure out that connection because, you know, even as an educator, you might say, I know what I did. Like I was teaching and I was a tutor and I, and I did other things on the side. You know, I, I even had a clothing company at one point. So I, I did other things. So that's from an individual standpoint. If I step outside of being an individual, I think that we also should advocate for more pay for the profession in general. You know what I'm saying? Like educators, mm-hmm deserve to get paid more in general. So not just me thinking about how can I make more money for myself, but how can I say, you know, in general, yo, we need to be getting paid more. So am I talking to my union? Like, who am I? I'm, I got to figure out who I got to have a conversation for because now I'm becoming an advocate. And I think that's another, that's sort of another layer, another level, because you got to take your individual self out of it. And now think about other people. Like, is this equitable? Are we getting paid what we deserve? You know what I mean? So that that made me mm-hmm. way down the rabbit hole, but I think that's a part of it too. That makes a lot of sense. Definitely makes a lot of sense. Kind of like trying to find that balance. I think that's super important um, as well. And I think it's important that people understand, young people understand um, how much they're going to be getting paid and things like that. Because I feel like as a young person, you're just like, oh man, I want to be a teacher. I had my favorite teacher that inspired me and this and that. And sometimes we don't know the numbers. So I think it's important to know the numbers and know what you're getting into. And then if you still decide like, yo, this is what I'm doing, you know, that, that you, you can go that route. There's one other thing I want to add on real quick. People could also look within the industry that they're interested in. So you might have an interest in being a teacher, but in the educational industry, there are hundreds, if not thousands of different positions. Right. And so um, I think that's also important to be, knowledgeable uh because sometimes people are sometimes people are interested in the industry they're interested in the profession because it's a part of an industry that they don't fully understand but if they decide to do more research on the industry they might be able to find a job that pays you know more money or um that they're still passionate about even with you can be interested in education and have a tech job you can be interested in education and you know, be a principal, right? Like there's so many different things that you can do. So I just think that people should be knowledgeable of that as well. Yes, sir. Well said, well said. Um, Another thing I think that connects to this all is that um, you've mentioned in your book that you really shouldn't look at a lot of your jobs and work um, as a permanent thing because you're looking at 
you know, fulfilling someone else's dream, working and all that stuff on the job as opposed to becoming an owner and doing for yourself. So do you think that is something that's relevant in all aspects, like every job you have? Um, and should we just not be looking at long term working for somebody else? How, how do you feel about that? So I think in the book, I was trying to say that um, regardless of you work for somebody or not, you should have the skills and ability to create your own enterprise if you're interested. Um, I, I'm not a person who is of the mindset of everybody has to be an entrepreneur. Everybody has to start a business. Nobody needs to work for anybody. Um, in fact, I think that's a sort of a false idea. I think most people in life are going to have to work for somebody else. Like this is a natural thing that's going to happen. Um, I also think that even if everybody's like this quote unquote boss and entrepreneur, like, do you really know how to run your business? Right. Like, are, are you are you knowledgeable of all the roles that you need to make your business scalable? And a lot of people aren't. They, they haven't received that training. Um, and so my, my whole thing is like, regardless of what type of work you do, or where you work, right? Like, are you, are you thinking about the possibility of you creating your own thing if you wanted to mm-hmm. if you're not, then I, I think you might be selling yourself short. Um, mm. if you are, I don't think, again, you have to become an entrepreneur, but I think it's important to at least have you know, the knowledge and the tools, like the, the mindset, if you wanted to, that, that's really what I was trying to say in the book. Um, because I, I don't see a, especially let's say you work for, I don't know, a, a black owned business. I'm a black man working for a black owned business. There's a, there's a tremendous amount of pride in that. I think there's a tremendous amount of pride in working anywhere and having mm-hmm. a job. Cause I could be out on the street robbing somebody, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Facts, facts, yeah. So I'm not, I'm never going to knock somebody for having a job. But I do think that I want people to have a mindset of being able to create something for themselves if they choose to. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Another piece of uh, another gem you gave us in your book was that uh, you talked about preserving your culture at work. Now, I've heard the opposite sometimes from people like, don't be too black at work. You know what I'm saying? You you know, especially if you're working with white folks, you got to tone that down a little bit. You know what I'm saying? You might have to cut off them, them locks. You know what I'm saying? You might have to shave that Rick Ross beard up. You know what I mean? Whatever it is. So um, what are your thoughts on that? And how do you find that balance between doing that? Because for some people, they might not be comfortable and get into this position where they get questioned by the higher ups or their coworkers or there are no other black people in that space. So they don't feel comfortable being themselves. And then they feel like they have to assimilate when they get into these workforces and these jobs. So how do you feel about those type of people? So I preface this by saying that I'm a, I'm a sort of a rebel, you know, um, I'm, I'm, what I'm probably about to say is not something that our parents or maybe even our grandparents would say. Um, and I, and I'm not trying to down them or diss them, I mm-hmm. think that um, as times change, you know, we have to change. Uh, we have to continue to move the ball forward. And so uh, when it comes to things like um, hairstyle, like you mentioned, you know, having to cut your locks, um, I think that's an outdated uh, philosophy. That's a it's a disrespectful um, practice that jobs have because if I had locks, what what do they have to do with my work performance? 
right? Other than you not liking the way that they look because you have um, some sort of anti-blackness about you or mm. embedded within the culture of the job, what else is it, right? In my head naturally does this. So why is it a, a problem to you, you know? So I have issues with that. Um, I also have issues with um, us us not being able to show up, you know, as who we are. Oftentimes we see the standard for professionalism as whiteness. Right. How close can I get to how white people are? How how close do I have to change my voice? Right. Like how how do I transform? (laughs) Right. Like because that's whiteness is the epitome of success. It's everything Mm -hmm. that's right within the world. So how do I get as close to that as possible because if I can do that, if I can master that, which I, I really never can, but if I can do that, I'll be all right. I'll be able to make it. I'll be able to be successful. You know, I'll never have to struggle again, but we've tried it and it hasn't worked. We, we see things like, um, I put this in the book as well. There's a story, uh, I can't remember her name, but there's a woman who used to work at a Hooters restaurant um in downtown baltimore now we think of hooters we think of you know the women's with the you know the the tight little outfits and things like that on some mm-hmm. of us think that those women are not even deserving of respect because they they choose to to wear the outfit to go to work right um which i disagree with but this woman was told by her white manager just a black woman she's told by her white manager um, she had some like blonde streaks in her hair, which were permissible by her job, right? Like there's there's no rule that says you can't have blonde streaks in your hair. Right. But because she had them in her hair, her supervisor started to say things like, Well, why do you have that in your hair? I'm paraphrasing. Say things like, you know, black people don't have their hair like that, like, you know, mm. your hair, why is your hair like that? And so she sued him. You know, she kept record of all of these things. She got a lawyer. She sued him. This was in 2015. She sued him for $250,000 for workplace discrimination. Mm. Um, and now you have things like the Crown Act um, that are supposed to um, pretty much tell employers, hey, stop being discriminatory because of the crown or the hair of non-white people, mostly mm-hmm. black people. And I'm like, man, it's crazy that they had, we had to create legislation that still hasn't passed in all 50 states. But we had to create legislation to say, yo, stop being racist. <laughs> <laughs> like, yo, stop, stop telling people that their hair is not professional. You know what I'm saying? Like, but all of these things, man, I, I think that we have to continue to what a key part in the book is us and young people being advocates for themselves being being knowledgeable of themselves again it's not just about the money that you're making right you're you're going into this is a this is an exchange this is a relationship that you're now building Mm -hmm. with this employer and you don't want to get itched on right and so you want to be smart you want to be knowledgeable you want to know the rules of the game because now you you going into it right you Mm -hmm. you you're excited because you're like, yo, I'm finally ready to get some money. I'm finally ready to get a bag, right? And you should be. But at the same time, this is business. And you want to know on your side 
how do I conduct business? Because this is business. When I come in here, when I clock in, I'm giving you what I what I got. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm doing the best that I can do. And when I come in here, I deserve respect. I deserve to be you know, treated as such. I deserve to have my rights upheld. All of these things are important. You know what I'm saying? And so that's that's a key part of it. And so when we think about the job, I want our young people to be advocates even more than I was when I was 14 and 15, because I, right. nobody was again, nobody was having this conversation with me. So in talking to them, I'm like, yo, don't let these people play with you because they will. They might have you working later than what you're supposed to work. They might have you working illegal hours. They might cut your shifts. They might do all types of things. Right. But if you're not knowledgeable of what's going on, you just accepting things like, oh, this is just, just the way they talking to you all kind of ways. And you just like, oh, this is just how it is when you're on a job. Mm-hmm. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, that's not just how it is. And if it is how it is, that's not how it should be. So you have to be knowledgeable of how to make that change. That's facts, man. Thanks for that. I remember, you know, my first professional, you know, teaching, teaching um, job where I was just assimilating and coming to school with the suit and the tie and yeah. doing all that stuff. And um, I wasn't connecting to the kids like that. And it took a coworker, another black coworker, just put his hands on my shoulder um, and be like, yo, just be yourself, man. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And I had to hear that because I thought that, it, it, you know, I didn't even realize I was assimilating and not being myself until, you know, it took a coworker who looked like me to be like, yo, just be yourself, man. And, yeah. you know, cut all that other I, stuff. You know, I wouldn't even not like if somebody. So when I was teaching one day, I might have a tie on the never, a Tuesday. I might have a dashiki on on Thursday. I might be in a white tee in some jeans. <laughs> right? Like I was all over the place with it. That was just me. But even if, even if you wanted to wear a suit and tie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you wanted to do, you can still do that in a way. And be yourself. Yep. Oppose who you are. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So that's how I agree. Definitely agree with that. Appreciate that. Um, so I kind of wanted, I think some of the best learning experiences is learning from other people's mistakes. You know what I'm saying? So I kind of wanted you to dive into some of the major mistakes that you felt like you made um, through your uh, career path, um, employment path, your jobs as a young person, and some stuff that you wish people would have pulled you aside and say, like, yo, young bro, that's not how you do it. You know what I'm saying? So what were some experiences that you had that you felt like weren't the best things that you did or or performed on the job that you, if you could school another young person in that path that you would say to do something different? Yeah. I mean, my dad told me that wisdom is the ability to learn from other people, especially their mistakes. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to do the exact same thing that they did, but you're able to learn from whatever it is, you know, they did and what the outcome was. So for me, um, I mean, I made numerous mistakes and um, I put some of them in the book because I, I didn't want to write the book from the perspective of, hey, I'm perfect. I know everything. Be like me. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not how I wanted to come off because that's not reality. And I don't think that would have been received well. And so one of the things that I messed up as a teenager was, and I put this story in a book, I used to work at, um, there's a local supermarket called Stop, Shop, and Save. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe they were black owned too, if I'm not mistaken. But I got this job. It was just given to me. So my right. dad knew the, the regional manager for this supermarket and pretty much called the regional manager. Like, hey, my son, you know, he's 16, 17. He's trying to get a job. Do you got any positions open for him? So I remember we went 
to go meet with this woman. And she pretty much was like, yeah, I'll, I'll set you up, get you a job, you, you'll be good. I didn't have to go through an interview. I didn't have to go through this whole application process. Well, I probably had to fill out an application, but it was it was pretty much given to me. So mm-hmm. probably a week or two later, I start the job and I hate it. My supervisor is like on me. Like I just feel her like beaming like on, on the back <laughs> of my neck. I'm just like, yo, back up. Like, give me some space. And then I remember um, you can never lean over. So if she saw you leaning over, she'd be like, stand up. And she would say it like really forcefully. Mm. Um, I felt like she was a drill sergeant. And then I remember um, I didn't really know how to bag up things well. Like I knew how to put it in a bag, but I didn't I didn't think about what, like what to put together. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I didn't know, like oh, you can't put the cat food with the the bug spray, you know what I'm saying? And so I was bagging up stuff and I did something crazy. Like I, I'm just filling the bag up and not really separating it by different categories. And the customer kind of leaned on me like, what are you doing? Like, and I felt like, man, man, I just started, but she didn't know. And the customer didn't care, you know? And so I, I, I felt like, you know, like I was slapped in the face. You know, I feel like my supervisor's on me. These customers getting on my nerves. So mm-hmm. I quit the job. Um, <laughs> I quit the job on my second day. Second day? Two days and I'm out. <laughs> I already had another job that uh, I was making some money from. So I'm like, I don't even need this one. This was just some extra stuff. Again, I ain't had to interview for it. So I didn't really, you know, I didn't feel, uh, you know, a deep connection to it. It just was some extra pocket money. And so I quit. And um, the regional manager found out that I quit contacting my dad. And the regional manager actually found out where my other job was. She came to visit me and she was like, why did you quit? And I was like, I ain't want to work there no more. And I think she was disappointed in me. She didn't really give me a lecture or anything. She just was like, okay. And then she left. But what I put in the book, which, which, what I hope young people take away is that in me quitting that job, one, I can't use it on my resume. Um, you know, I cut off an income source and then I also potentially damage the relationship between my dad and the regional manager because she like, yo, I gave your son his job. You know, he ain't had the interview for it and he just quit. So, that was a mistake that I feel like I made. And again, I've made many mistakes throughout my um, employment career, you know, not doing enough research into jobs. Like I mentioned earlier before applying or uh, taking a job, um, you know, not not building enough connections while in the workplace, like not staying connected with people who could potentially help me get other opportunities. Um, not not advocating for myself and getting the pay that I deserve that certain job. So all of these things are uh, mistakes that I made that I'm hoping that young people learn from. All right, yeah, I appreciate that, man. I think we learn a lot from some of the mistakes. Um, you know, I mean, I whew, I could think about the many mistakes I made on the job, man. Um, you know, I wish I would have had somebody that told me like, "Yo, you don't got to hook your friends up." You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not worth it, kind of don't thing. Don't yourself. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I know that for me, that was a major thing. All right. So um, just from 
you know, the whole employment experience, like we mentioned before, a lot of people really don't know the levels, the steps. And I wanted to walk through some of the steps of just in your view of how to navigate through everything, man, because I, I feel like it's so complicated. And for us, I just don't know. Nobody's telling us like everything. So um, just from the beginning steps to actually getting the job, keeping it, stuff like that. So from the start, um, you know, before I even apply, you know, what are some things you think I got to kind of consider before even applying as far as making me a strong candidate so I could really be a strong person out of those 300 people that's applying for that job? Yeah. So, again, I'm going to give you advice that is probably not in any other employment guy. And I think one one piece of advice I would say is, is paramount is is being as much as you can being clear on who you are. Right. Before you even fill out a job application, being clear. And when I say who you are, meaning like what type of environment do you want to work in? Like mm-hmm. what type of what type of job or career would fit your interests, your your wants, your needs, your lifestyle? Um, those things are important to consider, because if you hate fast paced environments, then you probably shouldn't go into um, fast food. Right. Like that's probably not going to be good for you. But but if you just like, oh, I don't care, I just fill out a job application for anything, mm-hmm. then you, you might get the job and it's the worst thing ever. You know what I'm saying? So just sitting back and doing some reflection, um, I think is important. You can even do like a um, there are different assessments online that you can do, um, like different career assessments or job assessments just to gain because you might not know. Right. Everybody might not know just off the bat, like. You know, what is it that I'm interested in? What would I like to do? But I think doing some kind of preliminary work in that area, it might even be asking your friends and family members, your parents, like your elders, like just getting that, you know, sort of background um, piece in. I think it's important. After you've done that, <clears throat> now you're ready to apply, like you mentioned. So I think during the application, um, one of the things you want to do is take your time, um, complete all of the questions, making sure that everything is, is spelled out correctly. Anything that's mandatory, do it. Um, anything like even like if, if you have to do a cover letter and it's optional, I would encourage you to do that as well. Um, mm-hmm. Cover letters are annoying. Applications are annoying a lot of a lot of times. <laughs> but um, you do want to do it if you if you're thinking about, you know, being marketable in that way. So making sure that that's done, making sure that your resume is, is updated is important. Um, you know, based upon any work experience, job experience, educational volunteer awards, all of that stuff, make sure you have it spelled out. Um, another piece that's also important that I put in the book. In fact, it's the first chapter is high, understanding hiring discrimination. Uh, which mm. is again, something that you're not going to find in, in job guides, but being clear on things that employers might do or might say even before, um, even before bringing you on as an employee that could potentially be di- discriminatory. So um, there are different questions that they might ask you. Um, it might ask you like, you know, in an interview, like, so, um, are you expecting, you know, a child anytime soon? 
right? What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> like, why are you asking me that question? Um, they might, they might, you know, sometimes people ask the question of, well, where are you really from? Mm. Right. Like, and it's like, what does that mean? You know what I'm saying? So just being able to to think about those things and, and know that some, some of that can be discriminatory. Some of it could, could just be like curiosity, but some of it could be like, mm, if you're going to be having a baby, then we might not want to hire you. Right. Or, hmm. Um, you know, you don't speak quote unquote perfect English. So I don't know if this is the right job for you. Right. Like some of those kind of underlying things could be behind those questions, but just being, just being mindful. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, of course there are a bunch of other forms of, of uh, discrimination that can happen, even on your resume, which is, is just wild. Like, um, I put in there about, a um, a study, I think from, from Harvard, uh, of, you know, if, if your name is more like white sounding, you're more likely uh, to get an interview according to their research, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's not surprising. And I think also with that in mind, like, I'm not going to tell a bunch of black kids like, yo, change your name to Tommy or Bill <laughs> on your resume so you can get an interview. I'm not going to tell you to do that. I, I believe that if a place don't want to hire me, because of my name, one, if I know, I'm assume if I find, <laughs> out. but if I don't know and, you know, they're just not hiring me or whatever, then maybe that's that's not a place that I want to work anyway. Um, so I just keep that in mind. But that's true. Yeah. You know, that reminds me of um, a friend I had um, and they were like in a corporate job and yeah. they would tell me like they were like in around the um, the uh, areas where they do the hiring and stuff like that. And they would always make fun of the black names and like how this person is not even going to get an interview. So they would like be laughing in the office about the black names and how those people are not, you know, they're not, there's no way to get an interview kind of thing. So it's interesting. It's things that we don't even think about, you know what I'm saying? That's happening. Oh, I mean, listen, we had a president named Barack, right? Mm -hmm. Unheard of, you know what I'm saying? So to me, this is just my opinion, you know, different people and, and black people are not monolithic. So everybody's not going to have the same thought or ideology. But if a if a if a girl's name Shaniqua, right, I think Shaniqua, if she's qualified, can be the CEO of a company. Mm-hmm. But there's some people that's like, yo, because I named Shaniqua, she she should never be the CEO of a company or or she'll never get an opportunity to be a CEO of a company. In some cases, with these companies who, you know, discriminate against people with those names, that could be true. Uh, but it's unfortunate. And like I said, if, if Shaniko ever finds out that I'm not getting considered for that CEO position, though I'm highly qualified because my name is Shaniko, Shaniko should sue them. Because <laughs> 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 that's discrimination. You know what I mean? But a lot of times stuff is more covert and like, you know, behind closed doors. So, but anyway, to get back to your question, the first section of the book, is all like stuff to do before getting a job. I separate it into three different sections. Mm-hmm. The first is before getting a job. The second is while on a job. And then the third is transitioning from one opportunity to the next. And so, for, you know, depending on where a young person is in their employment journey, they can kind of go to the section that best suits them. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, what you were talking about kind of made me think about the whole hair thing again, because 
I feel like even though the laws are being passed about black hair and accepting it, how would you ever know if somebody didn't hire you because of your hair? And I know people that went through interview after interview were highly qualified and didn't get any calls back. And as soon as they cut their hair, it was like on, it was on, on and popping. Like, you know what I'm saying? So um, do you, do you have advice for that? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, should you take an L and just, you know, get a clean cut or whatever it is. And then as you get in that job, like you can grow your hair back or whatever it is. Cause I feel like there's no way to, to really make that into an old thing because, you know, em- employers don't have to say that Well, we discriminated because right. of your hair. You know what I'm saying? Right. But what you can do is, um, so um, let me give you an example of myself. I think that if there was a job that I felt like, man, my beard, I should probably cut my beard in order to try to get this job because they probably look at me differently. Maybe I, I, I'm more presentable in their eyes if I cut my beard. Me, I would never have that job <laughs> because I'm not going to do it. Right. That's, but that's me. But I'm mm-hmm. not going to knock somebody else if they feel like um, that's that's their upward mobility. If they feel like that's their opportunity to get their foot in the door, they, they're going to cut their beard. I'm not going to call them a, a sellout or whatever. Um, if that's what they choose to do, that's their choice. You know, again, we're not monolithic. We don't all move and shake and do everything the same way. Right. But I will say that if you're going to do that and you do get in that door, like you just said, okay, so now what you going to do, right? If they say, if you, if you walk in there and everybody's wearing a, um, I don't know, khakis and a white shirt, are you going to be like, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm wearing a khakis and a white shirt, right? If everybody in there, they, they, they eating a certain type of food, are you going to say, oh, I'm going to eat what they eating, right? Like how, how far is it going to go? How far are you going to go in order to appease people? Um, because you may not ever be able to <laughs> reach that level, right? So it, to me, it always goes back to who are you, you know, mm. and, and, and how do you show up as your best self? Because you are worthy and you are enough, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and you should you should act in that way. Right. right. Instead of trying to like assemble. And it could even even if I'm going into a place where it's all black people. If I'm going to a place where it's all black people and they all choose to do things a certain way, I might still say, yo, this is the way I do it. <laughs> right. Like this is my way. I respect what you are doing, but this is my way. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So. To me, that's that's how I handle it. But again, if you find out that there are all of these people who are trying to get this position, they never get callbacks, they never get interviews, and they all have natural hair, and then all these other people, they they are getting callbacks, they are getting interviews, and they're um, either changing their you know hair or whatever, then you might need to hire an employment lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or call, uh, um, I forget the name of the organization, but you might have a lawsuit on your hands with that mm. with that organization. You know what I'm saying? Interesting. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, another thing before getting an interview, which a lot of young people don't understand sometimes, which I'm glad you mentioned in your book, is having a good email. I remember I talked mm-hmm. to um, students about this before and they were like shocked. They were like, you know, so I can't have sexy chocolate mama 64 as my, like what was, they not supposed to judge me based off my email. You know what I'm saying? Like, so um, what are your thoughts on 
the email thing and um what does a good email look like yeah and you know i I wish people didn't judge us off our email addresses but um you know they do and so (laughs) you, you have a choice again um I'm always about p- people being informed of their choices, right? Like you can go with sexy chocolate mama, right? If you want to go with that, <laughs> um, the likelihood is probably going to be less of them hitting you back as opposed to not le- as opposed to, you know, whatever your name is, la- first name, last name at gmail.com. Right. Um, it, you, you have to be able to think about, is it worth it at the end of the day? And and what you are willing to deal with as far as the implications of your actions. So for me, in in the for the rest of my professional life, I'm not gonna cut my beard for a job. <laughs> right. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm I'm all in on that. You know what I'm saying? So I'm willing to deal with whatever consequences. That might be this job that I really wanted, right? That I might not find out that. I didn't get it. I don't think I wouldn't get it because my bed, my bed is popping. But if if there was a job <laughs> preferred for some reason, people without bids, I wouldn't even know because I wouldn't even, you know, what I'm saying if they if they came to me, it was like, yo, you got to change it. I'm just like, yo, I'm not going to have this job. But when it comes to the email address, I always say just keep it simple. Keep it clean. I talk about an example of uh, one of my friends, um, R.I.P. Eddie who I dedicated my book to, he had an email like body snatcher 04, um, I think at yahoo.com or or something like that. If an employer reads that, they like what body snatcher killer. Are you murdering people? Um, so, you know, if he was applying for a job, he might not want to use that. Right. That's, that's probably not going to be the best, the best option. So just keep it simple, keep it straightforward. Um, employers typically don't care about the creativity of your email address. Like that doesn't matter. That's a, that's a low bar thing. And it's something that you don't have to, you're not selling out because you change your email address, right? Like to me, I don't, I don't see it in that way. So (laughs) (laughs) that makes sense. That makes sense. What about social media? I know you mentioned in your book, 70%, which I know is that high of employers actually check your social media. So what exactly are they looking for? And then as somebody who's about to get hired or looking for employment, um, what should I be looking to take out, you know, to cross out on my social media, delete, you know what I mean? Change. Yeah, man. I mean, employers are mad nosy. They want to find as much public information about you as they can. Um, And some of them are less intrusive than others. Um, But if, if it's on social media, if you posted it online somewhere, a blog, um, there's a video on YouTube, right? Like you, you have to be knowledgeable that somebody who could potentially hire you might see it. Um, and so, again, are you willing to deal with the ramifications of whatever it is that it is? Um, so if it's if it's you, it's, you know, a lot of people smoke weed, right? To me, it's probably going to become legalized at some point in the entire country. And it's probably going to be less stigmatized than it is right now. But we're still at, we're still at a point where um, an employer or a hiring manager might smoke weed all day. 
But if they see you smoking weed <laughs> on YouTube, you know, talking to your friends or whatever, doing whatever you're doing, that might encourage them not to want to interview. Right. And the thing is, you wouldn't even know because they're not going to be like, hey, we saw you smoking weed online. So we don't want to interview. They're just going to go on to the next candidate. You know what I'm saying? And so you just want to be mindful of, of what you post um, because it can live forever. Um, in some capacity. And somebody told me that it something can take a second for you to post, but it could take a lifetime for you to get it removed from all the places mm-hmm. that you go. And so you just want to be mindful of, of whatever it is, you know, um, any sexually explicit content. I know the young boys like to post the guns and stuff like that. They like to be out on the block. And I talk to someone, I'm like, yo, whatever you do is what you do. But don't put it online because it's not even just jobs. They're police. There are um, agencies that monitor mm-hmm. these platforms. And we think, oh, this is my page. This is my property. <laughs> Can't nobody even see this. It's, I'm like, bro, all that is false. You know what I mean? Like, this is this is the world wide web. These social media platforms don't belong to us. They don't. You don't own your page, right? A company owns your page. And they own That's... the content that you post. You got to matter of fact, you got to go to them to request the content that you put up on their platform. Mm. So you don't own it, even though you posted it. So just just being thoughtful and mindful, not beyond the confines of just a job, but as a person, how do you want to be represented? Because you're really a brand. So how are you representing your brand on the Internet? Mm. And that's what I talk to young people about. Well said. Well said. I think I know a lot of us don't think of ourselves as brands. And, you know, that that's a good way of looking at it, you know. Cause you know, somebody's watching and, you know, um, we don't think about the things that we do socially in connection to like being it becoming professional when people are looking at it. So that's interesting. Um, another thing I got to obviously do is prep my resume. I know a lot of young people just don't know about resumes at all. Like we might go from K through 12 and never even hear the word resume. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So, um, what exactly is a resume? And then, if I'm a young person, limited experience, how do I fill it up and make it look good? Yeah, your resume is, is your is your credibility. It's your um it's a document that represents um what you what you have done as a professional so far. Um so to that date or whenever you update that resume and give it to an employer, it represents your professional self up until that time. Um and so it, it could include things like the school that you went to, um, if you were a part of any any clubs, if you did volunteer community service, if you had previous employment, if you have um, um, awards, if you have special skills, all of those things you want to include on a resume to show um, your level of qualification to increase your marketability. Um, and to, to have something that you can continue to build upon because you don't want to have a resume on uh, November 25th, 2022, that stays the same a year, two years, three years from now, right? You're like, you're still applying to jobs with that exact same resume, but things have changed, right? Mm-hmm. Like you may have earned a new credential. You may have, um, you know, build build your professional experience as far as like you might have worked at a certain job for three years. So you might have to change it from 
you know, one year to three years or whatever. Like there, there's so many things that you just want to make sure that are included on your resume. And the, the biggest thing is, though, is to one, keep it updated to let somebody else see it. So whether it's a mentor, a teacher, um, a trusted adult, get some feedback on your resume. That's something that's another mistake that I made as a teenager. I think I found like a template online. I filled it out and I just started submitting it. And I'm sure it had, I'm sure it had all types of typos and, <laughs> and like all types of things, but I, f- I felt good. I just had a resume and, and some of my friends didn't, but you have a resume, but it's not a good one. Like it's not <laughs> the quality <laughs> of it's trash. So you might as well not have one, you know what I'm saying? So um, that's, that's the advice I always give and indeed.com. They have a free uh, resume template, which is one of my favorite uh, because you can go right on there, put in your information and you can download it, print it out, all of that for free. So take advantage of that. Yes, sir. Um, I remember in a professional interview I went to, um, I had submitted my resume. This was when you give it in person. Um, the person looked at it real quick. And during the interview, she was like, you know, you got a whole grammat- a whole bunch of grammatical errors on your resume, right? And I was just like, she just stared at me for a good five seconds. <laughs> and I was just like, put my head down. I was like, dang, man. What happened was I printed the wrong resume. It was the one with the grammatical errors in the, you know what I mean? Instead of the one that I had fixed. Right. So right. I didn't even realize that, man. I'm like, I was so embarrassed. Man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I just want to spare my young people that embarrassment, you know? Yes, sir. So all right, I got the resume together. My email's good to go. Social media's cleaned up. All right, now it's time for day of the interview. I'm all set, ready to go. What am I wearing? What do I wear? Yeah, so that's that's always the question. Um, in most cases, you know, most people would steer you kind of towards just a, a suit and a tie. You know, if you're a guy, if, you know, women like dresses, you know, dress search, things like that. And so and I think, you know, that's fine if, if that's what um, people choose to wear. Um, again, I'm, I'm a rebel, so I always... <laughs> I always say things a little bit different. Um, again, I think that's fine. I think those things are fine if that's what people choose to wear because that's typically acceptable, right? Um, but I, I also think that it's unfortunate that um, our jobs or a lot of employers don't respect like cultural garb or you know non-Western attire um, as professional. Right. So if, if I'm wearing, you know, some African garb that's connected to who I am culturally, that's still considered professional in my culture. You know, why can't I wear that? Um, mm. And in some cases we can. Most cases we probably can, but we don't even consider it because we're like, yo, they're going to look at us like we're wild if we if we put on something like that. Um, this is those who who may have that those backgrounds, but um, I say whatever you know, whatever it is that people choose to wear, right? Make sure that it's neat, make sure that it's clean, um, make sure that it's it's something that's you know you 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 put it together, not just like <laughs> in a hurry. Um, to be honest with you, I love to get to a point in the world where. It doesn't matter what people wear to an interview. Mm. Um, 
I also like to get to a point in the world where people can even have like tattoos and things like that. And I say that because in some cultures, tattoos are, are, are more of a cultural thing, right? It might represent something for them and their people as opposed to just like, I'm just getting something random on my face. Like this, you know, if I'm, I don't know, Samoan, I might have something that's like, yo, this is tied to my culture. This means peace and strength and, and power. And this tattoo, it has nothing to do with my work performance. But I'm getting, I feel like, you know, the discrimination piece comes in because it's revered as like unprofessional. And I don't really, I don't really know why. This is all my opinion. Again, I'm a rebel. I'm, yes, sir. I'm, <laughs> I'm not trying to say that everybody thinks like this or even should think like this, but I just, I, I just think about all of these things that we do that we've always been socialized to do. And I tend to ask the question, why? Right. And I tend to ask the question, who invented these norms? Who invented these expectations? Who said that we had to dress a certain way and talk a certain way and be a certain way in order to be seen as professional? And a lot of times it stems back to white ideals and white beliefs. Mm. You know, and, and so much so that like you know, it's 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 like ingrained in us. You know what I mean? Well, you got people that like you like you you think that the ideal of a professional dressed man is like how like a, a senator or a president is dressed. You know what I'm saying? They always have on like the suit and tie. You mentioned Kanye West earlier. <laughs> Kanye West said people wear uh, people wear suits because they can't dress no more. Meaning that like there's no style that goes into it. It's just like you know, I mean, there's style for sure that can be style, but it's like I'm just gonna throw this on because it's easy. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to like trying to mix it up. Not to say that people have to do that, but like to me, those things are not that important to me. But I'm not gonna tell a I'm not gonna tell a young person don't. Um, don't put on a suit and tie or don't put on whatever it is they got to do in order to get in the door. I don't want you to misconstrue what I'm saying. I think what I'm saying is that I like to get to a point in the world where those things are less important than what can you actually do on a job? Mm. Like what, what skills can you demonstrate at the position as opposed to like, how nice do you look in the interview? Got you. Got you. All right. Um, so what about when I'm like in the at, like t- doing the interview and everything? Do you have any tips and tricks like on how to conduct myself, answer questions and things like that while I'm um, on the interview? Yeah, I mean, composure is really important. I think as as human beings, though, right, I'm taking it out of just a job as a human being. It's important to um, have a sense of composure about yourself. And I think that can translate over into an interview. So if you're if you're if your voice is cracking or it's sounding low or you don't seem confident as a person, you know, that can translate over in an interview and make an interviewer, you know, see that you're kind of shy or timid or things like that. 
Um, so I think you should certainly have a strong posture. Um, I think as people, eye contact is important. You know, um, I think that's a that's a form of communication as well. Because if I'm if I'm looking like all around and I don't want to look at you, it's like it, it can it can be received at, perceived as a um, as a disconnect or as a as a thing that, you know, people have all of these kind of perceptions and, and all of this stuff is very subjective because I've been in interviews where I've given somebody like mad eye contact and they're kind of like, whoa, like that's <laughs> <laughs> they're like, they're like, yo, this guy's too confident. Like he's too much. You know, they ain't never say that explicitly, but I, I got that feeling. So I think a, a third piece is being able to adjust. It's kind of like playing a football game, right? Like if a team is if I'm a defense and I'm playing a team that's really good at running, I want to learn how to stop the run. But if they know how to pass, well, I want to know how to, you know, stop the pass. So it I, I feed it, I kind of feed into my interviewer. And this is something that I think comes with practice. You know, you learn about their likes, sort of their dislikes, like they're kind of weird little quirks. Um I, I'm I think I'm pretty good at analyzing a person. Not everything about them, but like you, you get a feel after you've done enough interviews, you know, when you get to a certain level, like, OK, I I, I responded in this way. I kind of seen how he or she took that. All right. Let me you know, let me process that. Um, The last thing I'll say is just having the ability to pause when needed, because sometimes we think we have to be like rapid fire with everything. Mm-hmm. And you want to be rehearsed and, and sort of practice. So don't go in there and be pausing after every question. But. Sometimes an interviewer might ask you a question where you really legitimately need a moment or two to think. And that's okay. Um, So I would rather somebody take that moment or two to process their thoughts than to try to be rapid fire and fumble the ball and like mess up the whole interview. You know what I'm saying? So those are some tips that I would give. Yes, sir. Um, Appreciate those. And I remember one interview I had, too, for a teaching job. And um, I was so serious and ready to go and all that stuff. And I really didn't think about smiling like that. And afterwards, the interviewer was like, yo, you, you're going to be working with children. Like, we didn't even see you smile. Like, are you going to enjoy this? Like, you know what I'm saying? And I was just so caught up in just being right. like, you know, thinking about the questions and I got to be professional and all this stuff. I didn't even like smile. So I, I think that's important as well. You know? Sure. Sure. Yeah, man. Um, all right. So let's imagine, you know, I'm a young person. Who got your book, read it, read through it and everything. And I hit you up, maybe call you, email you like, yo, Mr. Phillips, I got the job. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what advice would you give that young person moving forward into their workplace and what comes after, you know what I mean? Getting the job and everything. I would say one, if they read my book, you know, give me a couple of dollars because I helped them get the knowledge. man, You know, I, I, I would salute them first and foremost, but then I would say, okay, congratulations. You know, you got the job, you went there. Um, but definitely love to learn about what they're doing. Um, but also I will want them to think of, you know, what, what, what do they want this job to do for them? Um, I said earlier to think about more than just the salary or the income. Right. Um, you know, there may be certain opportunities that, Hey, I'm just going to work here for a few months. And I just, I'm only thinking about the money. I don't really not really thinking about the other stuff because it's not a long-term thing. But if, if it's somewhere that you are planning to be for a considerable amount of time, 
even even if not, you can still consider the question. But if you're if you're planning to be there for a while, you know, I always go back to like re, uh, food service or retail. That's, that's those type of jobs that a lot of a lot of people get, a lot of young people get. So if you're working at Starbucks, Starbucks has benefits, right? right? And so, you know. I don't know if you have, you might have to be full-time. I'm not sure. I don't know all their stipulations, but if you are full-time, I would say, make sure you understand what your benefits are. If you are a young person who aspires to go to college, I would say, talk to your manager or someone in HR about what are their scholarships available because they have them, right? But how do you make sure that you qualify for them? Um, I would say also, Make sure you do do your best at your job. Don't don't just be happy because you got the job. Congratulations, but make sure that you are putting putting forth your best effort. You know that's really important. No matter where you work, you know my dad said like, if you're a trash person, be the best trash person ever. You know <laughs> yes, sir. Like, again, this is not a knock on nobody who's a trash person because absolutely. Yeah, didn't have custodians, we'd be living in a dirty world because people are nasty and disgusting and they just throw stuff anywhere. So this is not a knock on them. Um, but it's saying like, whatever you do, like put forth your best effort. So I would say that. Um, and I would also say, you know, think about this opportunity and how you got on and you know, think about do you have other people that you can maybe put on or maybe give them some ideas of how they can get this particular type of job? Um, are there people at the job that you're working at? This is something that you might not figure out until maybe like a couple of weeks or months in. But are there people there that you want to build a relationship with? Like, you know, there might be something that might you might be aspiring to go to college. There may be another college student already working there. So y'all might want to connect. I'm saying right. um, there might be somebody there who like um, wants to start a business and you might have an interest in a business. So maybe y'all want to connect, you know what I'm saying? So like just thinking outside of the box is, is what I would encourage young people to do, but take that time. They don't, I'm not trying to say figure all this within 30 days of working <laughs> at your job. Cause you're trying to figure out, you're trying to figure out how to make frappuccinos and, you know, support the customers too. But as you continue to be there and you start to build knowledge, start to look in these other areas to see how can you take better advantage of the job. Appreciate that, Mr. Phillips. Great advice. Great advice. All right. Before we close out, I wanted to tackle um quick little activity here. What's your favorite? Identifying a few of your favorite things so you can okay. keep it short and brief or elaborate if you want. So your favorite lesson that you've learned on the job. Favorite lesson I learned on the job. This is probably more broad, but I, I don't know everything and I don't know how to do everything. And it's okay to not know how to do everything or to know everything. Um, so the lesson in that is being able to lean on other people for, for um, you know, ways in order to get better and to learn things. Gotcha. All right. Favorite job you ever had? Favorite job. <clears throat> Oh, man, it has to be when I work. It was a AmeriCorps job. I worked for the Choice Program uh, out of um, UMBC, which is a local college. And we we didn't get paid like nothing. Like the salary was trash. <laughs> but it was it, it was at a 
at a time where I can take a job that had a trash salary. And I say it's my favorite because uh, I build a camaraderie with a lot of my coworkers at that particular job, more than probably any other job I ever had. So much so that, you know, three or four people that work on my team, we still connect like at least once or twice a year. You know, we matter of fact, we supposed to connect uh, next month. And so we we over 10 years, we still maintain our friendship from that job. Gotcha. All right. Favorite job perk that you ever had? Favorite like, job uh, perk. Um, oh, probably when I was working at, uh, I used to work at this this vegan restaurant called Land of Kush. And um, we used to be able to get free food. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> and they, they cut it down, though, because they, I think we was tapping into their profits. <laughs> we <didn't get> <laughs> but I enjoyed it while we had it. That's dope. That's dope. All right. Um, favorite lesson you ever learned from your students while you were teaching? Uh, uh, be flexible and and listen to them. Um, and 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 that might not always come as like them saying something directly, but listen to their their reactions. Listen to the things that they talk about with their friends. Listen to their interest. Because if you can tap into those things and create lessons that are real world that connect to them, mm-hmm. they'll be way more into it than whatever the lesson said in the in the textbook. So being able to be adaptive is very important when you're teaching. Right. Um, favorite thing about black youth? Man, they they like the dope. They keep me up on everything. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I'll be disconnected. Like I don't know all the new slang i don't i don't know all the new rappers um the new like little fashion things the dances they keep you up on all of that and they'll they'll like you know they to when you get to a certain age you're old here for real so they they see you like me i'm like in their eyes i'm like 40 i'm like 50, <laughs> you know what i'm saying when they like nine and ten you know what i mean but um they, they keep you up man they keep you on your toes they're they're funny they're creative, um, and and they're great, man. They got they got their own struggles for sure, but they're they're some amazing people. Got you. Um, favorite author or writer? Favorite, uh, probably James Baldwin. Um, just really really dope. I love the fire next time. And I have another book that I was reading a little bit of. What is this called for a class? Um, James Baldwin, Notes of a Native Son. Mm, that's uh, a good one. A little, yeah. a little bit of that for a memoir workshop class that I'm taking right now. So I just think his ability to use words and to, you know, be very eloquent is something that I aspire to be. Gotcha. Um, speaking of you yourself, um, what's the favorite thing that you've ever written outside of y'all hiring? So. I tell people this all the time and I think it's maybe difficult for people to believe me because y'all hiring is like this. It's like, it's, it's like a, a, a thing of its own. It's built its own characteristics. Um, but y'all hiring was one project for me, right? Like that's not the, that's not the totality of my career. My whole mm-hmm. career is not going to be about like workforce development. You know what I'm saying? Like that's not my legacy, not a knock on anybody that it is. That's just, that's not my end all be all. So my favorite thing that I've written outside of that, um, 
it's probably the first two chapters of this memoir that I'm working on. That mm. only people who have seen it are people who are in my classes at school and grad school. So um, those have been like, because it's, it's just so much different, you know, and it's about my life and, you know, how, I, how I'm growing, how I grew into my consciousness as a black man and different experiences that I've had and all of that. So I'm really, really enjoying that. And I, I can't wait to like get it out there for people to read. Oh man, we're going we're gonna to have to bring you back for that one. Yeah, for sure. Yes, sir. All right. Um, favorite life gem that somebody else has given you? Um, so um, this, I don't know if this is my favorite one or not, but I'm just going to go with it because, you know, it represents my grandmother who recently passed a couple weeks ago. But she always stressed the importance of rest, which is something that, like, we don't talk about enough. You know what I'm saying? Like, rest is a revolutionary act, like being able Mm. to pause, to reset, to take a break, to literally sleep is important because it helps to restore and rejuvenate you. And as a, as a young person, I didn't, I don't feel like I value rest. I think a lot of us are like on go. I know I always wanted to stay up mad late all the time. Mm. (laughs) You you really had nothing to stay up for. It's just like, I just want to be up. Um, But now you know, I'm appreciating rest more. And I know that if I'm rested, I'm able to do the work better during the day. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to take that lesson with me that that my grandmother gave me just to make sure I get some rest. Great lesson. Great lesson. Appreciate that. All right. um, So we was just talking about legacy, man, and how you want to be perceived and and everything. Um, So what is the legacy that you're trying to leave behind with this work and um, you know, your future writings and um, your youth activism and everything? Um, I think the le- the legacy I want to leave behind is, you know, uh, Nipsey Hussle talked about, what is it? I can't remember the exact quote, but he was like, the, fa- the, the, the highest form of connection or something like that is to inspire people, right? Because when you inspire people, you're not telling them what to do. Like in my book, you know what I'm saying? I'm giving, I'm giving actions, I'm giving advice and things like that. Right. But I think as a person, Mm -hmm. I want, I want people to be able to read my readings, to be able to look at me as a man, the work that I've done and to be inspired to do whatever it is that they want to do. You know what I'm saying? Whether it's to write their own story, write their own book or just to level, just to level up and, and step that game up. You know what I'm saying? I want to be able to inspire people, especially young people. That's always my passion. Frederick Douglass said, um, you know, it's easier. I'm paraphrasing, but it's easier. Um, it's easier to work with children than to, you know, work with adults or repair uh, broken men or something like that is what he said. So I'm always, I'm always investing into young people because I think that they're, they are still the sponges. They're malleable. They're not stuck in their ways. And so, I'm hoping that I, I I help them see a light. I help them see a black man who comes from communities like theirs, who um, you know achieved a certain level of success and was able to do it in a in a in a right way. You know, not in like this quote unquote sellout or like you know fake way or you know taking advantage of people. 
I want people to see that, yo, you can have a good character, you can be righteous, and you can still be successful. That's what I hope to lead. Yes, sir. I was trying to look up the, that Nipsey Hussle quote because uh, I kind of remember it too. Um, yeah. But I think it was along the lines of like the highest form of elevation is to inspire, something like that. It was similar sure. to what you said. Um, definitely agree with that quote. Um, and I do feel like you're doing a lot of that work, you know, right now. And, um, you know, I appreciate the work that you're doing because, you know, these spaces definitely need to be tackled and, um, definitely appreciate having you on with us and giving us some real valuable gems on navigating through the workforce. And I don't think it's just for young people, man. I think a lot of us adults too get in these places and we don't know about being professional and, about how to conduct ourselves or how to, you know, navigate to an interview and all those things. So definitely appreciate that work, man. Thank you so much. And I, and I often get that feedback. It's like, this is, this is a book, not just for teens, it's also for uh, adults as well. So different adults use it, um, different youth programs, workforce development programs, schools, um, all, all over the country use the book in different ways. So I'm very thankful for that. Yes, sir. Um, so we usually ask our guests to leave us with their favorite quote before they dip out. Um, so can you leave us with your favorite quote and what it means to you? Man, I'm going to go with, it's a simple quote, but I think it's still profound. I'm going to go with Kendrick Lamar. We're going to be all right. Straight mm. up. We're going to be all right. Um, you know, sometimes uh, in life, things can seem like insurmountable, but I think, you know, we have the power to, to push back and to overcome and and to achieve our wildest dreams. And so I still walk and live in that. And I'm I, I have to, you know, kind of rewire and recircuit my brain to to be in that mindset. Uh, Cause I know not just for me, I need to have that mindset, but I know that other people are looking up to me. So I want to be able to encourage them, not to say that everything in life is going to be perfect and roses, but when things are not looking um, the, the the best, you can still overcome. So that's what I leave with your guest today. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. All right. Um, thank you for that. Um, where can people find your work, your book? Um, and where can people get in contact with you if they have information about anything job related or any work that you're doing? Yeah. So uh, it's funny you mentioned job related because people often hit me up about jobs. I am not like the job plug. That's not, that's, that's not my role. Like I'm, I'm probably not going to be able to help you get a job. However, um, I can try to give you tools and resources to hopefully help with your journey. Um, but don't think I'm just like going to hand, hand out a job to you. Uh, in order to get hit you up like, yo, Mr. Phillips, y'all hire? They think I'm like an employer and like I got these jobs just waiting around to hand out to people. And I'm like, yo, that's that's not what it is. But um, (laughs) to get in contact with me, you can go to my website, albertphillipsjr.com. If you want to check out the book, I made it real simple for people. You can go to yallhiring.com and you can get the book uh, directly from the website. Actually, I encourage people to get it that way, because if you get it that way, it's going to be signed by me, hand signed, and um, you're probably going to get a bookmark as well. And I ship them out pretty fast. So you'll get it directly from the author. Um, on Instagram, at the ambitious black guy, you can follow me on there. And um, I think I'm on Twitter too, at ambitious BLK guy. So you can find me on there too. Hit me up. Let's connect. 
There it is. There it is, man. Um, I think we'll definitely have you back on, man, because you've got many more gems to share with us. But appreciate the time we spent with you today, man. You were very generous with your time. So thank you for coming on. Uh, listeners, share the program. Um, this is useful, vital information that we all need and we all need to navigate to um, towards the workforce and to just be our best selves, like Mr. Phillips said today. You know what I'm saying? So share the program. And of course, remember, your mind is the most powerful tool in the universe. Therefore, if you can think it, you can do it. If you believe in it, you can be it. And if you fight for it, you can have it. The world is yours. This has been your host, Mr. G, and I will see you next time on Mastermind.